Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Up next on Inside the SECA, talking tech. Our guest today is Scott Schmidt. He is the tech chief for the Hoosier Tire Super Tour series. Scott joined the staff of the SCCA in 2018, but he's a lifelong SCCA member. Uh, He's raced a bunch of different cars along the way. We'll chat with him a little bit about that first, and then we'll talk deep, deep dive into tech at the highest levels of our club here. Hey, Scott, how are you today? I'm surviving, Brian. How about you? I'm doing good. You said you've got good weather in Topeka. What would good weather in Topeka look like in in March 1st? It's a week swing. So last year or last week, I came home from South Club, Button Willow, and drove into one degree weather uh, with snow and ice. And yesterday it was 82, and I was driving a mini moke around. So you know, in one one week swing, we had California weather. There you go. There you go. So, so you have a long history with the club. Started out as a racer, like a lot of us. Uh, yep. w- what did you start racing, and how far back was that? Uh, you know, I was born into the club. Uh, my dad was a production racer in the 70s and 80s. Uh, when it came time to, to go racing, it was autocross and a Sprite. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. High school type autocross stuff. That developed kind of cool in the college years of Formula SAE cars. Uh, University of Kansas did a lot of that. Uh, wasn't smart enough to be an engineer, but I was in their garage uh, every day, it seemed like. So 10 years of those cars, and then we built a Sprite uh, F-production race car, and have been doing that for now 20 years. Uh, in, in the meantime, everything from Sports 2000 to uh, V8 MGB GT2 car that I did for a while. Uh, so I've been around tube frame cars and, and spec cars and everything under the sun. Luckily, growing up, uh, seeing it all. So there are different regions of the country that I feel are hotbeds for a specific type of racing or a specific class yes. production racing topeka you've got some amazing yeah. legendary people you know yeah, outside we, of the huffakers out here on the west coast yeah. when i think production i think of a couple of guys who i know you know really well because you're going to be yeah. heading over to talk to them tonight yes well, correct yeah i got lucky enough in about i don't know 89 or so uh kent prather moved uh, uh, to topeka uh, we had just started Heartland Park, our local road race course, and so he thought that would work. And he dove into building production engines as a living uh, at that point. And then when I started racing, uh, you know, he kind of certainly became a mentor, and you know, I wanted one of his engines. And luckily, I got to work there for two years. Nice. Beautiful ship, and, and probably certainly led to this uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be here without him, uh, definitely. And then yeah, son Jesse has his own shop in the Mazda world, so the two of them, uh, the, the breadth of knowledge is, is pretty neat to be around, and, and the talent level is impressive. What's it like a, a dozen national championships out of those, their shops? Uh, Kent has eight. Uh, what Jesse has four, five, six. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely a good good group of people to hang out with and learn from. Uh, right. So there's a story you need to tell me uh, about mm-hmm. your your getting your first license in a letter your dad wrote. Sure. Uh, I have it framed in my desk. But basically, what it amounted to was. Uh, 
analyzing a rule in the GCR. It was beautiful. And my dad always likes to twist words or contort things or intent to the rule. But basically it said to be a licensed driver or a competition holder in SCCA, you needed to be 18. So in 1979, he wrote a letter to then Denver that said, I'd like to apply for a competition license for my son. <clears throat> and at the time, the head of road racing responded and said, I'm sorry, you're mistaken, Mr. Schmidt, but you must be 18 years old to compete in SCCA, not 18 days old. Oh, I, I thought you were going to go to 18 months. So it was 18 right. days. No, no. Yeah, he waited 18 days <laughs> and, sent and got a beautiful response uh, on letterhead. Uh, said, nope, not quite ready. We'll see him when he's eight. At the time, it was 18. And by the time I got around it, you had to be 16 years old. And of course, now you can be 14. So yeah. you know, that's the transition of the age. Awesome. Awesome. And that letter was from the one and only Carl Haas, right? No, it was somebody in road oh, okay. racing out in, out, in, uh, out in Denver. Oh, Denver, okay. Carl Haas connection we have is Carl Haas adopted my dad for a while uh, on the under two liter Can-Am circuit because they were poor Kansas kids and couldn't afford to feed themselves. And so Carl Haas says, kids, I'll take care of you. You eat with us now. Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So so let's get to how you get from that to Mm -hmm. being in the head of tech for the Super Tour series. Were were you a did you end up? doing a lot of time working with your local tech team at starting with, and then it evolved from there. Or how did that get to that? No, I was, I was a rule bending production racer my whole life. Uh, you know, uh, leaning on a rule book, trying to do things that, that couldn't be found. And I really lucked into this. There was a, a job opening here in the tech department <clears throat> and Kent kind of prompted me and said, no, I think, I think you could have that mindset. I said, tech, that doesn't sound any fun. I'm, you know, I don't, I want to, you know, sit around, be staunch and be that referee. You know, I, I wasn't necessarily excited about it. Boy, looking back, I, I didn't know what I was, you know, uh, going to get into and how fun it was going to be. But no, I don't think it was something I did growing up. I worked in timing and scoring a little bit. I kicked around the racetrack, but never in tech. And then, uh, you know, through the Formula SAE rule years, uh, developing pretty high tech race cars, you know, we always fought tech tooth and nail. So, you know, I kind of said, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, the realm I want to be in. Came to work at SUCA, and I thought I was just going to kind of manage rule questions. You know, if you had a question in the GCR, you call my hotline, and I help you out. So I answer helmet questions or roll cage questions all day, every day here in the office in Topeka. And then uh, the department said, you know what? We need uh, to fill a role on the road. Do you mind going out to Super Tours and and, uh, and acting in this role? I said, I'll try. You know, hold your hand up, go do it. And uh, for four years now, it's been a great time. Cool. And, you know, you've got to go to – some of the best racetracks that our country has to offer. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel blessed in my position in the office. I have my pulse on all the rule changes uh, going on in the, in the rule book, but I also get to go out in the field and then see them at the, you know, the, uh, the priority tracks that we go to all the bucket list tracks that the super tour goes to. You couldn't have two better ends of it. So a lot of times when I have someone from national on, I, I put a little note on the Facebook page. What would you like me to ask them? And I didn't in this situation because I knew mm-hmm. I was going to get 7,000 questions. Uh, yeah. So, and, and we'll do another one down the road. Where maybe we can just take questions from, yes, from the folks. Would. That could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think there's some areas that I want to step into and, and tap into today. Uh, okay. The first area is not quite about with what you do, but I just want to delve just for a tiny bit into um, the, the the way you work with the local tech um, and scrutineers and yeah. and what people should think about if maybe they might want to hang out with tech and learn some stuff. I, I, sure. I bet you there's some learning opportunities there. Right, right. Yeah, all the tech shit. I'm going to call them tech sheds, I suppose, that I, that I walk into across the country because it can be an easy up tent or it can be a nice building and there can be 20 people there or there can be two and they can 
rage and age, you know, rage and age from, well, you know, 14 years old to 80. Uh, so you don't know who you're adopting on that weekend when I go, but it's really their region, their show. And the super tour comes around and tries to put a little polish on it. So we let them proceed as they normally do and help in whatever way we can. But as far as someone new coming in to whether it's a high end event, super tour runoffs or just your local regional, that tech crew will adopt you. Um, uh, but uh, realize it's their tech shed, you know, when you're coming in and they might have been doing something in certain ways for 40, 50 years. Uh, you know what I mean? Or you could have a guy who's new in the position. Uh, so it, it, it certainly varies across the country. Uh, Definitely. But bottom line, just like any part of our road racing family, they're going to adopt you. They might be a little gruff, uh, but they're going to adopt you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's the difference from the tech and rules standpoint? The rules don't change, but they're looked at maybe more closely at a super tour event rather than a regional event, right? Yeah, uh, I would say so. Uh, You know, we have a corral of impound all. It's a little more structured. Um, uh, We have, you know, guys that are qualifying for the runoffs uh, as opposed to, you know, a one-off or a regional uh, and they're running a full season. We want to have it consistent. And of course, as you know, the job of tech is to help protect these guys. So we want to get them right by the runoffs. You know, we don't want to catch them at the super tour. We don't want to catch them in the runoffs. We want to have them compliant by the time they get to the runoffs. So they don't hurt themselves. Right. Uh, really our job across the country. So, so it's not your, you're not out to get them, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> never, never witch hunt, never out to get them. Uh, you know, we all have stories of racing that, that become lore. Sure. So our job is to adopt the driver and whether it's a, a fire bottle that needs recertified or a non-compliant restrictor, I want to get him back out for the next race with a compliant car so he can enjoy his weekend. Yeah. So I got to hang out with you a little bit last weekend, or I guess maybe two weekends ago. I don't remember. Right. Now. They, we, we, they all run together after a while. You start to. Yeah. Um, and at a, a non-super tour event, uh, if I'm down in the tech shed area, there are weekends where you can go the entire weekend and maybe see a hood lifted, right? Unless it's a t- an annual inspection, you uh-huh. know. And uh-huh. and you could go through seven, eight, ten, twelve races, and you might not see the hood lifted on a car. When I stood out and watched you do your thing, because that was kind of fun, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there were a lot of hoods lifted at the Super Tour. Sure. Um, yeah. it, it, is that pretty common for the Super Tour events? It, it really is. Um, we do look at more things. A lot of them are visuals where you don't have to lift a hood. That you know, you don't even see us checking because we know the rule book well enough, or we know those checks or the, the stuff that, you know on that car. That you know, by the time it rolls across the scales, we've looked at five things on the compliance plan. You didn't, you don't realize it. But then we do have to go in and, and do some semi-intrusive things. We never try to take a motor apart or anything in a super tour, but yeah, you'll pull a restrictor. You might pull an intake manifold. You might pull a, a battery out, you know, something like that. We did it at button Willow, but generally we try to get it done in that half an hour window uh, of impact, you know, because we think it's a little over intrusive to have a guy go get too many tools and come back and hang out too long. Right. Uh, uh, other than that, you know, it just, it escalates. Uh, if somebody has a problem, we'll address it. But then uh, it comes the farther end of tech of, you know, uh, protest paper and all that, which we'll help sure. out with. I rarely ever see that. So right. uh, have an equal balance between you know, the, the the light things going on at regionals all the way to the extreme uh, at the runoffs. But Super Tour is the baseline for the runoffs, more or less. And do you do things, maybe uh, if you're going to do something a little more intrusive, do it on Sunday where the car can get put back together during the week rather Correct, than doing yeah. it on Saturday between races? If it's something that's going to change the tune or how the car uh, performs, yeah, we're, we'll be nice to the member and, and do it on a Sunday. Um, but most of our checks can be done anytime. Uh, right. For sure. 
Uh, as a far end of the spectrum, I also participate in Spec Beyond a class compliance, where I'm a, a Spec Beyond a class compliance chief, and that's a whole other ball of wax uh, where we have you know taking cylinder heads off and stuff like that. But that's that's part of that community and and, and just part of what they compete in. And they know it's coming. Yeah, yeah. That was going to be my next question. You know, we have vi- wide, wide variety variety of classes. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I think probably if you were to count the number of different cars in each class. And add them all up. There's probably three, four hundred cars in the GCR. My boss Rick actually looked up how many spec lines there were. So you've got yeah. What's the number? It's it's in the thousands. It's it's impressive. Yeah. And many would argue it's too many. We can have that yep. discussion over a, over a beer sometime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's obviously impossible to know everything about every car that you come across. Correct. And that, that's to the newbie that can be the, the fear, you know, when you're, you're bringing someone new and I'm like, I need to learn this whole book and I need to know anything about everything. No, you don't need to know anything about anything. You need to learn how to search it. Uh, you know, you need to learn how to use the book and, and go find the answer uh, when you need to. Uh, so just have the confidence in yourself that it is in there. We'll find it. And sometimes I'll sit there with a competitor and I'll say, I've never even looked at this. Let's learn it together. Yeah. You know what I mean, we do it. Uh, yeah. Do they appreciate that honesty when you come up to yeah. and have that? Discussion. Yeah, because you know some of that old some of that old hat was you know uh, I'm the know it all. I'll get to you with the answer, and no, you gotta you gotta go in together uh, uh, on it. I think. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, there's a different way to look at a spec Miata or a spec racer four than you would look at a Formula V. You yeah. know, and and what are the differences as they're rolling through the line? You know, do you pick out like for each race? Do you say, okay, this is what I'm going to kind of keep an eye on for every car? So you're kind of looking at the same thing, or is it a yeah. weekend-based thing? Um, oh, how, yeah. how do you decide yeah. the things you're going to just do looksies on? Yeah, we certainly develop an impound plan going into a weekend, and for each race, we'll probably have about three checks, two of them visual, maybe all three of them visual uh, that you can do pretty quickly, and it could be something as simple as seatbelt dates mm-hmm. or fire. Uh, rolling through it could be safety uh, or it could be compliance of you know every car today i'm gonna if it has a restrictor and it comes to this tent it's getting its restrictor looked at you know something like that um but yeah uh, some classes are harder to plan ahead because you don't say well with modern registration we kind of know what cars are going to be there but we don't know what's going to land in the impound so we have to have a broad choice of checks and a lot of times a car will come and go oh man i don't have a check for it uh, or or you know you don't need a check you have uh, so it's a, it's a balance of, of pinning that down. The spec classes are kind of neat. Um, they, they pay a compliance fee. They have some of these class compliance chiefs that are experts and have end-all decision-making power, which helps. And their classes police themselves so well because they got the biggest peer pressure uh, groups uh, in them. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, they're, they're around each other all the time. Those, those pools actually play pretty well. And and there's there's varying differences even within the spec classes because the spec racer Ford everything comes from a prescribed mm-hmm. playbook you know the yep. motor comes right. sealed the right. um the trannies are sealed the shots everything is part number all come from yep. the same spot i mean there's it's really hard to cheat in a spec racer ford not yep. that it's not yep. attempted you know but that also probably and, makes and, it easier to police right it does yeah um and uh, they've had some upgrades obviously they're watching stuff and they have to balance you know uh, compliance with um uh, you know tuning this new motor tuning right. this new transmission all that stuff uh so they're watching multiple things at once but man mike davies and nick larue out of denver uh they got that under control and their their peer group is happy yeah it's pretty much, but it doesn't slow them down i mean i i still have a ride height gauge i still check for all kinds of stuff on them constantly yeah you know, different things uh and, you know, I'll put it out in the open. The last, you know, thing I really found in SRF was fuel. Uh, so, uh-huh. yeah, you're 
it's it's you know it's it's leaned down to where the cars are kind of settled, uh, and their last problem was was fuel and their peer group and their peer group hashed it out. Right. Uh, right. Protest. Yeah. Now turn the corner and you, let's look at Spec Miata. You know, people uh-huh. build their own engines. They can right. build their own transmissions. Yep. So while there is a spec, uh-huh. the there is interpretation yes. <laughs> of the spec. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can, if you choose to roll that dice, you could cheat the holy heck with those if you wanted to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Uh, we found some unique ideas there. Uh, unique ideas. More than, than others. Um, but but the, the cool thing about Spec Miata and, and the way it's written now is, uh, you know, anything is just a no-go. Like, you know, I don't, I don't you know if it's, it's performance gain or not, it doesn't matter. And that's, that's the same across any class, but Spec Miata wants it that well policed that they can sleep at night and not worry about it. Uh, and trust me, they lose sleep over it. Uh, so. So I, I remember in the early days of Spec Miata, um, there was a lot of maybe consternation or pushing back. Is it changed so much that they really want you now to be looking really closely and go after the drivers or the crews that are really doing things that are, are, are way beyond the scope? I think so. Yeah, I think that's the general scheme, uh, but it also has has honed in. I think it was a little more Wild West uh, uh, five, ten years ago, and uh, through the through the the group work of both the tech staff, uh, the CRB, and the community, uh, they've gotten it uh, honed down to where uh, they're not bickering as much. Right. Right. So, what are the things you see most that are that are done? maybe on accident incorrectly. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. What are the, the kind of the common mistakes that you see? Yeah, the biggest one there is obviously, you know, going to be weight. You know, we're, we're constantly changing this rule book or fluctuating spec lines or changing weights so they don't know how to do the calculation. You know, we have some classes super touring where you have to do math to get to your weight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but that'll happen more often than not, or they just you know, didn't upgrade the vinyl on the car, whatnot. Right. But, and then, you know, when a car does come underweight, uh, you have all these, you know, uh, or reasons why or whatnot or questions on the scales. And it's kind of one of those is what it is. You know, we have to have something here. We've got to roll you across something. Right. And we have to agree with it in the end of the day. And that's probably the, the most talks I have uh, are about are about weight, which is just par for the course. Yeah, uh, when I'm working with a team and th- thinking about driving with them, it's, it's a simple sell. You know, you never have to worry about weight when I'm your driver. Um, sure. So <laughs> and cer- certain cars, certain cars can't get there. So certain don't worry about it, but others, you know, they play that game and yeah. it's just, it's just a dangerous rope. And, and that's when we sometimes yeah have to adopt them and help them. And we have guys that are anal about it and come and weigh their car 10 times a day. And we have other guys that don't weigh their car all weekend and then end up light and wonder why. So, um, you know. so do you have the data if you're 10 pounds overweight versus one pound underweight, what's that going to change in your performance? Is it really going to make it? Exactly. Yep. Yep. You know, so, it's uh, I, I was always the question for me is like, I don't really think that it's worth risking it for 10 pounds. You yeah. Know? Um, right. Yeah. But I mean, and then, you know, that's, that's one where you pretty much know you're going to come across the scales and we'll go to the other end of compliance, you know, restrictors I bring up all the time. And we've got everything from flat plate restrictors and spec autos to big ones and T1 cars to single inlet trumpets that go in P1 cars. And I've got a quiver of those that I've collected, you know, one of the, one of the perks of finding something is it comes home with us and we add it and we learn from it. And so I take them out on the road with me and I show them uh, to people. But uh, yeah, the amount of restrictor plates we get, and they know the rule on that one, and they just they roll the dice whether it's going to get found and impounded. Uh, so uh, right. those get often, so I check them often. So how often does Brian come up to you as a driver and say, could you just keep a real close eye on 74 because something's not right with that car? Yep, it certainly happens, and you you instantly add it to your memory bank as something to check in the future. Uh, but you have to avoid uh, what we call it, obviously a witch hunt. Uh, right. One of those things of if it's not on my plan of three checks, 
and I can't see it with my eyes. Um, I'll probably have a conversation with you about what, you know, what we can do going forward, but it might involve paper protested from you. Right. I usually have a, a great rapport with my race directors. And if it's something I can see, say you had a three element wing on the back of the spec Miata, I can see it with my eyes, race director. Can we go act on this now? Uh, you know what I mean? Right. But if it's, if it's somebody where, Oh, he's making too much power. He's got to have more compression. Scott, go check it. I'm sorry. Uh, you, you, you'll need to fill out the paper and, and do a bond uh, to find out. Uh, you, know, you can't check everything. We, we joke around here. We'd love to just put the whole GCR out as our impound plan, but uh, that allows you to find anything anytime on a whim. And we just want to have it consistent through those stockade gates of, Here's the three items we're checking uh, unless we see something with our eye that flashes. So is compression could be one of those three items that you could check on a, on a particular weekend? Yep, okay. certainly can. Yep. I, I don't want to ask what are the things you won't check because then people will start screwing with that part of the rule book. But. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, the only thing that limits that, and we'll be honest, I mean, we're a club. Uh, dollars limits that. You know, right. we'd love to check everything, but you can only bring so many tools to race and check so many things. And, uh, and the cost of living going up, we were we were talking about bond recently. You know, if someone does protest something, what's the hourly rate to get that, you know, what to get that check somewhere out in the field, you know, if I'm not around or the local region needs to do it. And it's gone up substantially, so everything from tools to, to comparison parts, it's, it's hard on the money end to check everything. What do you see as the biggest challenge for what you do on a race to race weekend? Cause I'm sure that uh, you kind of get in the crosshairs as well, because you are kind of the, the, the bad guy sometimes, right? You, you, you get to be the bad guy sometimes, I suppose. Uh, it happens so few and, and, few and far between that it doesn't even register with me really. Cause I haven't, you know, I've had a couple of experiences, never a bad experience. And there's so many good smiles of the help of get the guy. Oh, I didn't think of that. Thank you for the help. Now I'm back on track doing fine, but it outweighs it uh, in spades. Uh, yeah. If people, and that's what I was before I came into the field of man, I'm going to be in the tech shed and you're just going to be kind of berated or, or have that buffer between you and a competitor. And it's the totally opposite. I get to see them more than anybody because yeah. they come, my impound area. I see them more than grid. I see them more than timing and scoring, you know, anything other than maybe registration. And they're in a good mood after a race in tech. So, yeah. you know, I think it's, I think it's a cool experience. I think back in the day, the, che- the tech shed gave lots of people ulcers, you know, uh-huh. because two things, there, there were two ways that the tech shed worked. And one way was you could go to a race. They do nothing. They, they weigh you and that was it. Mm-hmm. And then Every once in a great while, you would find a tech inspector who had, you know, whatever, whatever the reason. Maybe they woke up the wrong side of the bed. Maybe yep. they did something like you were every weekend. They chose to do something, you know, to mm-hmm. look at something. But you don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you feel like you've been singled out by the tech inspector from hell. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't feel that that happens quite so much anymore, does it? It, it doesn't, you know, there's always that personality type in, in any lifestyle that they're out there, you know, with that mindset. And, you know, I've been around tech inspectors. They're going to find something like, you know, say it's an sure. annual. Not, they're not satisfied unless they find something for you to go do. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, but uh, it is, it is, I think, waning. I still have a few here and there, but they're so good at what they do. You know, it's kind of, they have the strength and the knowledge. Uh, it's just that, that, that interaction. And, and some people are in the tech shed because that's their mentality. They didn't want to be in registration. Uh, I think uh, in the modern age of, of, of helping fellow man, we're doing pretty good in the tech, in the tech shed. And we probably do have a little bad uh, limits from the past, but we're overcoming it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about a couple things. I want to talk about things like seatbelt dates. That's always people yell at them about that. Why do I need new seatbelts? Let's talk about that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the things that you've caught drivers doing that helped them when they got to the runoffs. 
you know, yep. eliminate that kind of problem. So we're going to uh-huh. do all that when we come back. You're listening to Inside the SCCA on the Racing Wire Podcast Network. I'm Abby Shear, and this is Inside the SCCA. When I need numbers for my autocross time trial or road race car, I go to autocrossdigits.com. Christian and his crew offer top quality magnetic and vinyl numbers. Their website is easy to navigate. The prices are great and most orders ship in four business days. If you need numbers for your car, check out autocrossdigits.com. Tell them the podcast guy sent you. All right, we're back on Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belanski. He is Scott Schmidt, the Hoosier Super Tour Series Tech Chief. Scott, thanks for being with us today. Um, So we're having this awesome conversation I, I just love this this side of our sport when i look at the social media and the facebook page and all this kind of stuff i the one thing i see over and over again is people complaining about seatbelt dates you know mm-hmm. your seatbelts look fine they've never been in a wreck you know maybe they've yep. been in the car for however the d- length of the the expiration period of the belts is but the car's only raced five times and mm-hmm. they're like why do i need new belts why do we need yep. new belts you know, it's a great question. Uh, we have two different um, uh, types of belts we, we allow in SCCA. An, an SFI label uh, comes out of California belt, uh, which currently with SCCA is good for two years. They had some, I called them new old stock on the shelf, five-year SFI belts, but I think they've all gone by the wayside this year. And then we have FIA uh, belts, which will last for five years. So yeah, you're right. Uh, two different Two different time spans, same equipment, perhaps, don't know. Um, but you know, it comes down to the SFI here in America, you know, we have roundy round racing of sprint cars in Iowa that do sit out in the UV and get dirt on them all day. And those belts do deteriorate and degrade when you power wash the car three times a week, you know what I mean? Uh, and they have to have a label that goes across the gamut. Uh, that's, that's how I explain it to people, uh, more than anything. And it's tough and it's rough. Uh, I, I, I do give them the option, you know, here's an FIA belt that costs one and a half times as much money, but it lasts two and a half times as long, like, you know, maybe you go that route. Right. Uh, but, uh, SFI belts are, are, are plenty available, but it's just, just like the helmets. It's, it's the beautiful racket we live with to get to play and do what we do. You know what I mean? And, uh, if that's what it takes to write off on the insurance, I'll certainly do it, uh, for now, but it's tough and, and we're bound by it. And, and and I haven't seen a solution to it. Uh, uh, so yeah, every, every five years for about 300 bucks is I think, I think what you do. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, the most common complaint that you get from, you know, folks who deal with tech as far as, you know, I got picked on or whatever the case may be. What, what, what are the common complaints you, you hear from people? And, well, and, and, and what do you do to kind of ease their, their worries and their concerns? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the ones I get is, you know, we do get, you know, you, you watch our, our tech flow sometimes. It looks like we're not checking very much stuff because we are doing those visuals. You know, how come how come tech didn't check this in my group? And, you know, people are, are hyper-focused in their class. And, and, you know, we do have 28 of them out there and three checks apiece. You know, we can't we can't do everything for your love on that make model in your class, I'm afraid. Uh, we do get a lot of that. And then once you kind of explain to them how big a book it really is and everything you're doing there and explain to them that, Sometimes it's peer pressure in your group of, say, you race, you know, American Stan, you know, go, go talk with your competitors, you know, uh, if you can. If you can't build a rapport, certainly work through us. But we do a little bit of both, and, and sometimes we are the middleman of groups and because, yeah, we'll all, I'll often have, you know, two competitors in one ear at one time, you know, and I'm balancing them both all the time because uh, they're, they're, they're asking those, those deep, hard questions. Do you check the same thing, three things for every class in a weekend, or does each, do you pick three different things for every class? Three different things for every class. Or for every race group, maybe. 
Yep. Yep. Uh, so you'll have a race group of four or five classes and three checks each. So it, uh, it, it, it compounds, uh, and, and well, you saw it and you can become a busy beaver, uh, during, yeah. uh, during the group to get to all those classes. Um, and I'm sure, you know, some people in those classes would like to have someone spend all 30 minutes on their class. Sure. Yeah. We simply can't. Yeah. Yeah. So when the, when the, when the, the, the CHP does a DUI check, mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll, well, they, they announce where the check is going to be. Yep. Do you guys t- tell the competitors what the three checks are? We don't, um, but it's not, it's certainly not hidden knowledge. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't tell them uh, ahead of a group, obviously, before they went out. But as soon as they come to impound, I'll tell that information to anybody. Got it. Okay. Uh, you know, once it's time to perform that check, yeah, anybody, anybody on the premises pretty much can, can find out. But yeah, of course, leading up to to even to the grid, uh, yeah, you'll, I'm, I'm pretty tight-lipped until those cars roll uh, on the grid. And even then, sometimes in around guys with radios. Uh, so, uh, you know, you have to kind of watch all aspects, uh, when the car's out there, cause you know, you'll have everything from uh, a car, uh, placed off the podium on purpose. Uh, if they know a certain check's coming, right. uh, so have to, we have to avoid that. Oh, okay. So they would finish fourth just cause they know they don't want you checking that thing. Yep. That's yep. brilliant. And it's common. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, yep. I, I always, here's the one that I always got me when, when a guy is really, really cheating badly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It is really easy to be just fast enough to win and not make it look like you're cheating badly. Yep. Yep. And and I don't understand why it people would not even just do, you know, if if they're going to be dumb enough to try to cheat, but I mean, it yeah. just strikes me as if you're if you're really going that fast, you know, just uh, slow down a little bit. Sure, yeah. Finish second well, once in a while. I think you got two ends of that spectrum. I think <laughs> Catches our eyes. Say you have a guy out front leading, and we can tell he's able to hold that hold that buffer pretty easily. Obviously, he's got something in hand. And then the other part is, most of the time, my podium is, is beautifully clean. It's that bar marker in tenth place that never comes to my impound area that you know uh, you know you'd really like to check. And yeah, it's, it's the mid pack stuff that, that's pretty interesting. We finally get to see more of that in Spec Miata, but some of the other groups we don't. So I bet there's some hilarity out there in some of those cars. So. Can you come up with maybe one story or maybe two stories of the crazy things you've you've come across that that maybe people thought they were going to get away with that were so obvious that they should have never even tried? Yeah, uh, you know, one of them I adopted before my time, and I tell you about these restrictor plates that we carry with us, and then I will show them in an impound area to guys, you know, from the bigger hole that somebody has made or whatnot. But, you know, the rule uh, inspecting on at one time was all your air must pass through a 38-millimeter hole in a restrictor, right? So right. they had a 38-millimeter hole in the middle, and they had another hole all the way around the outside of that. And I'm, you know, torturing the rule book. My dad, you know, would, would raise me and say, Hey, I have the hole you asked for. I just also happen to have another hole bigger than that around, you know, the outside of the, the orifice. So, you know, we have stuff like that that we find and, and we laugh and we chuckle and it goes in our back pocket and, and they get written up for it. Uh, and then know. is the new rule, a single 35, 38 uh-huh. middle middle yeah. hole. Is that now yeah. written in the rule book? Right. I, I yeah. have to yeah. look. Yeah. And, I, and I love it when guys get rule book edited because of things like that, you know, right. we the intent. So we go ahead and it's, it's written up as it is, but it's been later that it's a rule book. So. I, I always thought there'd be a badge of honor in having, you know, like the Brian Belansky rule in the rule book. You yep. know, I, I'm sure there are Carol Shelby rules and Smoky Eunuch uh-huh. rules. And yeah. I've been, yeah. you know, I can go down and down and down the line of all these, you know, legendary. Or, or some, races. Kent, some Kent Prather rules. I I'm bet. sure there are, you know. Yep. Um, um, any other great stories that you can come up with that uh, from over the years? 
nothing wild other than that. The hilarity of the guys that just, you know, just they hold their hands up of, I didn't know. That's my favorite is the guys. I didn't know that was a rule, you know, uh, you know what I mean? And I just, you know, I just applaud them for, for what they have, but you know, that, that isn't our sport and we have all takes. And then we have guys that are so embarrassed that they didn't realize they were in the, in the gray area. Um, they want to be out of that, you know, conversation so quick. And you got other guys, you know, not my first time in jail. I'll be back, you know? Uh, so we have both. So I would guess now after four years, you have a pretty well honed spidey sense. Mm-hmm. Um, how easy is it to tell between the guy who, or, or, or gal who really didn't think they were cheating and found as, as opposed right. to the, the, the guy or gal who is just out there killing right. it and cheating all the way up. Yeah. It, it's nigh on impossible to tell until you actually look at the car and look at the parts. Cause, cause your mind will fool you uh, yeah. for sure. Uh, you know what I mean? It'll take in the wrong direction. Um, and you know, we always have that, you know, one of my, uh, PR guys comes to the super tour. Reese White has this check that says, Nope, just walk up to that spec Miata guy and tell him, We're going to take your cylinder head off. And he goes, Okay. You know, and he starts into work. Well, he's probably fine. It's the guy that goes, Well, I need to go get my truck and I need to go get my tools. I'm not quite ready to take it apart. Okay. Yes, please proceed. And I want to see yours. But the guy who's ready to dive in there and show you, he's probably fine. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. And we see a lot of that. What, um, What's it like to go all around the country? I mean, you know, lots of people get to do that because there's pro series and everything. But that's yeah. that's a pretty cool job with the club to be a to club racer to, and then yeah. now have this opportunity to go see these tracks, hang out with the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I'm a historian, history major in college. You know, now, now on the racing side of it. You know, grew up in this club since since the early '80s. Uh, been to a few of these bucket list tracks. I'm a vintage racer myself, so some of the old iron, the cars that I, you know, the, that we get to see. But to be in some of the the places, Seneca Lodge, Seepkins, uh, Road America, uh, in this role uh, even hits uh, a little deeper. That yeah, you're part of this history of that you know SCCA tech inspector hitting the country or hitting the road, uh, and then uh, it's so fast paced that it flies by. You don't realize it happened you know, because we are in chug 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 mode, and we we gear up for the runoffs, and it's 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 pro level excitement with with amateur level fun. I guess uh, you know it's just. It's, it's hard to to know how simple SCCA was at some of these tracks, you know, people in campers and now we have toter homes and, you know, $300,000 uh, rigs or, or million dollar rigs. And we didn't have that in a day and to see where it's come from then and now is fun. I'm sure you see the gambit of car prep, you know? Yes. Uh, right. The, there's going to be the, the, the cars that are old and, and maybe on their last legs, you're going to see the cars that are brand new prep by a prep shop. How often do you see a car that's prepped by a racer and you might look at it from the outside and, and not think a whole lot of it, but you get under the hood and you realize that this is a gorgeous race car? Or, or well thought out, well engineered, right. uh, loved on. Yeah. Back to the prod world, we get a lot of that prod racing. But yeah, we always joke that, you know, it's the dirty car you watch out for, you know, because it's the, it's the labor of love that that guy has figured out. And yeah, brand new build isn't going to be fast until you, uh, you bake it a while. For sure, and you see that all the time. Um, it's probably one of my favorite aspects because in tech, you do get to look under the hood. You do get to go see. You, you get to analyze that guy's program and see the love and care they take uh, in it. Uh, it's 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 neat. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that because you get to go to all of the regions, divisions mm-hmm. around the country? Mm-hmm. Do you find that there are particular areas of the country that are you know, pushing the rule book maybe in one area in a class and then you go to another area of the country and they may be pushing a different area of things. 
Uh, yes and no. There's 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 bigger pockets of a certain class. Uh, call it Spectrum or this or that across the country, uh, or you know, form the Continentals. It might be here, but might not be right there. But in the modern age uh, of, of race car engineering, they spread the knowledge uh, to where they they either travel with it or they communicate uh, online. But everybody has the same prep level, um, and uh, as soon as something is is taken advantage of, even in a compliant way, the whole world knows instantly. Uh, you right. Know what I mean? Uh, something will happen at a super tour and the word's out on Monday and they're all adjusted by the next week. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So what, what are um, some of the things that you are able to see from year to year changing within the club, as far as from, you know, car prep or, you know, the ideas of how the super tour works. What, what have you seen over the last four years? Cause I think you started when the Super Tour started, right? You were the Super Tour's first tech chief, or did you come in after a year or two? No, Frank Derringer was here okay. doing this uh, on the Hoosier Super Tour before me. They had a BFG Super Tour uh, that somebody traveled to before that. Uh, but as far as kind of honing it and, and getting there, yeah, I'd say it's it's been done uh, these past four or five years. Um, car count is, is steadily growing. Our groups are big. Uh, uh, it has become something people like to do. I've got more and more people trying to hit six, seven, eight super tours. Last year I had somebody do all 10. Uh, it's, it's, it's inspiring to watch, uh, happen. A little transition, uh, I suppose, from that regional level over to the majors level. And if you're going to do a majors, why wouldn't you wait till your super tour came around? And that's sure. why some of those accounts are big, uh, and need to see. And that, that creates good problems for us, everything from registration to express tech to, you know, parking cars and impounds, just more of everything. And uh, I think the club member and the officials have dealt with it well to uh, deal with the uh, constriction. If you saw a car at a super tour and found something that needed to be rectified, is that driver pretty much on notice that when they show up at the runoffs, you're going to check that part again? Yeah, but in a, in a, in a wink way of, of here it is. I'm sorry you got caught. I'm not mad at you. Uh, bring it back, you know, bring it back again. Uh, we'll probably hang out again. Uh, you know what I mean? And then, and then you watch it for a while and you, you have repeat offenders that will do it 10 times in a row and guys that learn the first time. Uh, so, uh, and you, you just manage it case by case. Right. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, they, and then kind of say, you know, I just found you once. I mean, I'm going to ride you the rest of the season. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. What's your, and it varies, and then some you know, oh, I do need to check them next time. Right, right. What's your advice for someone who might just decide to build a car? I mean, you uh-huh. know, you know we, we, we have the ability to do that in this club. I always tell yep. people that, you know, if you're really into wrenching, that's a lot of fun. But usually building a car from the ground up is more expensive than going out and buying a, even a semi-sorted car. You yep. know, uh, w- what's your advice? Because it sounds like you've done a lot of building. You worked for the Prathers mm-hmm. before you came mm-hmm. to the SCCA. What's mm-hmm. your, you know, if you were to like do your, your top five list of things people need to concentrate on is there, if they're building a car from the start, what would they be? And I'm right. going to guess the first uh, one's going to be safety. <laughs> yeah, safety's huge. So that's number one to get the car, you know, get the logbook on the thing and get a logbook for it. But I guess I take a step back further than that. Uh, I get a lot of guys that drive it. Not only do I want to build a race car or buy a race car, I don't know what I want. I've never been racing. How do I get there? So it's kind of the, the license and the car at the same time. And I always recommend, you know, go to an event. No paddock is off limits. Go knock on the doors of that car or class you're interested in and see if you can get adopted by that group at a race before you ever commit. Two, you know, if you're going to go to a driver's school or if you like to make a model and you haven't been around it, go rent one first. You know, go drive it. Make sure you fit. Make sure you actually like it before you commit the money to it. Okay. And then once you decide, no, I do like me out as I drove one to high school. I do want to build one. Okay. Yeah. Then it's then it's safety things. 
And if you can, you know, go find your local tech inspector and have them kind of hold your hand and, and walk you through. But, you know, net, section 9.3 of the GCR is all the safety items. If you can knock all those out uh, and read it and read it, you can certainly build your own car. Many people have done it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, we, 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 we like adopting those folks and getting them through and daily phone calls with many today uh, doing it. But yeah, that's your crux uh, is to get the things safe. And then if you want to learn, hone your skills back to those same people of your, of your peer group uh, that race those cars. Well, go back and learn from them. Uh, but yeah, all I, all I really care about in the, in the end, uh, to the logbook of cars is safety. I could care less about your compliance or what engine you have in it until it's safe. Right. And then we'll find a place for you to race. And part of being safe is being quick enough to at least be not dangerous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, there's there's that consideration also. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. What else do we have? What else do you see? What What's the fun stuff that you get to do as you get to these each race weekends? I mean, you do a lot more than just tech at these weekends. You're kind of the yep. one of the guys who sets up the weekend because you carry yep. Yep. and drive the trailer with all yeah. the stuff in yep. it. I always had aspirations in my twenties that I get, you know, on a pro team and travel around to a, to a, you know, cool pro races and wrench up race cars before I had kids. And now I look back and I go, man, that would have been miserable. Cause what I do now is as I think better, I get to see all the specialties, all the people I'm not stuck in one spot. I can roam around, but yeah, I am kind of the roadie or the, 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 the setup guy for our rock and roll band, but we carry many specialties on that, on that band and trailer. We've got timing and scoring, uh, has a lot of equipment for a super tour does special timing, uh, a whole radio team, uh, which is true rock band. Uh, and I've got a gigantic victory circle podium setup uh, that we do at all the events and then all the tech tools. So I call it four specialties and it's a lot of equipment that yeah starts getting set up on a Wednesday or Thursday night and not picked up until dark on Sunday. But uh, it is fun being the first one, turning the lights on and turning the lights off uh, at the end of the weekend. It's, it's neat. As we get ready to get out, t- talk to me or talk to the folks out there who might be on the fence of going out and playing with the tech team. What, what, just yep. tell them to go do it. Yeah, tell them to go do it for sure. Um, don't have aspirations of, of you need to be pinpoint perfect of knowing your stuff. And that's what was my, my nerve-wracking part coming in here of, boy, I'm going to get all these phone calls, and they're going to need to know something out of the rule book. And if I don't know it, what's going to happen? Who cares? Right. Um, go, go look it up in your textbook, and that's really what it is. And then realize that there's tons of people around you at that event that have done it before. So you get to do a lot of uh, watching up the shoulder for a while, which is kind of the hurdle because guys – push cars in the scales. They don't get to get as in-depth into it at first, but it's a slow growing deal. Uh, you know what I mean? You have to build that rapport with the, with the drivers. And yeah, for the first year on the super tour, since I was a replacement, you know, I got, I got blank stares forever until they knew you. you right. I mean? And that's basically where you're doing is, is in tech slowly, but surely over that weekend, you're meeting all the racers so that the next weekend they can come find you. Right. Uh, you, that's what you do in your early days in tech. Well, and also over the watch. years, you know, you've probably, you know, met a lot of these drivers and teams multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I would think that at some point in time, they almost come to you as a confidant. Like, you know, if mm-hmm. I were to do this, would this be, would this get me in trouble? You know? Constantly. Um, yep. Yep. And, and I want them to do that uh, for sure. And, and it's nice when they do because uh, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I think they realize we're, we're racers too. Uh, and, and, and we can help you think through that problem. Uh, and uh, they've, you know, unless you ask, you're, you're not going to, get something interpreted and oftentimes it gets turned over at first i'll go no i don't think you can do that oh wait yeah go ahead take advantage of that loophole drive a truck through it you know yeah. what i mean and that happens a lot i yeah. love it when you do it cool cool 
Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending some time here with us. A couple things I wanted to announce before we get out. Uh, Because you are the guy who carries the trailer around, uh, Mm -hmm. you have a very, very special piece of equipment on that trailer. Sure do. It's the the Inside the SUCA podcast banner. Maybe the most important. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yep. And 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 you have agreed to put it up on race weekends. Mm-hmm. And I just want to let our listeners know that if they take a selfie with the banner mm-hmm. and post it on social media every mm-hmm. week, we're going to go through all those selfies. Hopefully there'll be right. dozens or hundreds of them at some point. Right. And we're going to give something away. Cool. So, so, you know, and we're also going to uh, start having some inside the SCCA podcast decals that you can put on your car. So it'll there be the go. same deal. If I get a selfie mm-hmm. with someone with a decal or a banner mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. week, someone's going to get something. So the next cool. Super Tour is when? Uh, we go to Road Atlanta next week. Okay. Uh, I don't know what the dates are exactly, but yeah, not this weekend. The next weekend we'll be at Road Atlanta for a pretty big one. We've got 300 cars or more. Wow. We'll have uh, a historic tech show. As I say, my dad did tech at, at the runoffs back in, I don't know, 72, 73, 74. I lived in Atlanta at the time. So I get to stand in the tech shed he did 50 years ago. It's it's pretty neat. There you go. So so at Road Atlanta. So. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So at, at in the impound area, and we'll take a picture. Yeah. Road Atlanta. Look for the look for the banner. Take a picture, and uh, and post it on any of the socials: Facebook, Instagram, or or Twitter, uh, with the hashtag inside the SCCA. And I will go through, and and my social media guru, that's the teenage daughter, uh, mm-hmm. she will find the all those little opportunities, and I will pick someone, and, and they will get something cool. Um, cool. The second thing is, I just want to remind everybody that we have all of the Super Tour uh, uh, race broadcasts are going to now going to be on the racing wire podcast network as well uh usually it takes about a week or two after them uh, after the races for them to get them to me and for me to get them posted but uh sebring is up already um coda is up already as soon as i get the the broadcasts from button willow those are going to go up and uh and we'll be keeping doing those and it's uh, a nice thing to do to after you listen to the podcast on your way to race weekends you can then go find the races and listen to them as well so yeah. uh scott thank you Hey, Brian, thank you. Thanks for uh, doing this. And I think people in our sport are going to dig listening to these and the different uh, specialties that you're honing in on. Absolutely. Um, And and the next time we talk, I will put it out there and let's just do a question and answer. I'll I'll take questions and we'll just do a half hour of, you know, John, who drives H production, says what Mm -hmm. has this question. And we'll just rattle through a bunch of questions rapid fire. I I can do what would you do if? uh, Yeah. That's that's easy. Uh, Cool. No problem. And would dig it. And uh, I like your idea of, uh, of leaning towards, you know, how do we recruit more into the specialty? And I think that's what some of the stuff is leading to is I need more people to, to, to hold their hand up to step into it because we are shrinking right now. So, uh, well, we're that. shrinking and a lot of us are getting more gray hair. So, yep. you know, yep. it's a combination of that and and just, you know, lots of people have lots of things they want to spend their time doing. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. we need to grow some some new people. Uh, of any age, you could be at any age, but you know, yep. it'd be nice to grow some younger people too because they could stick around for a long time. And well, my tech out. sheds are actually both ends of the spectrum. I got up to college and I got retired on, and nowhere in between. Uh, ah. it's, it's been a cool, two cool groups to manage, uh, and it's it's neat, but at the same time, we need to recruit. So, uh, all right. 
So we'll cool. keep in touch. Also, one last little tease. We're still going to do, we're going to continue with our 101 uh, podcast. So we'll do a Tech 101 and a Corner Working 101. This was not Tech 101, folks. This was more of a deeper dive into Super Tour and what Scott looks for. Uh, but we are going to do a Tech 101 somewhere down the road, hopefully soon, and uh, so we can get people interested in out there. So, Scott, have Perfect. a great day. We will be back you- with you soon. If you like what you're hearing, uh, uh, like the podcast, subscribe to us. So you can find out what we're going to do next. Uh, that will be uh, every Friday we do those episodes. Also, you can leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. You can follow us on social media. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. And that's where you're going to find out who our next guest is. And usually we get you the opportunity to ask a question. I didn't do that this week. But uh, you can find us in all of those places. This is Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Bolanski. Have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. Hi, I'm Dorsey Schrader, and this is Inside the SCCA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.